If you've been with us the past few weeks for the month of December, uh, you know that we've been going through a, a Christmas series, and it's called The Untold Stories of Christmas. And we're basically kind of just picking a character and kind of looking at their point of view of the Christmas story. We all know the baby was born in a manger, but what about all the other people? What did they deal with, right? And if you've been here, you know, we started with Christmas with the kids, which is absolutely adorable. I love hearing all their crazy answers to some of the questions. Um, and then after that, Pastor Nathan took us through the perspective of the shepherds. And then if yesterday evening, if you went to the Nightingale campus and were a part of the Christmas Eve, uh, or sorry, Christmas Eve, Eve candlelit service, uh, you know that we went through the wise men or the magi, the magicians and their perspective. This morning, where I kind of want to land the plane, so we're going to look through Joseph's perspective. So we know that's Jesus' dad, right? Um, before we get too deep into it, I kind of want to just give you guys a little live look into my brain and how, how I got to this topic and then how God took it and just gave me a really cool word um, and took me on a rabbit hole to just see some really cool things. Um, so have you guys ever sang these Christmas songs that we've heard a hundred times just this season, the ones that you're probably excited for the 26th so they can be over because you've heard them a million times. We sing them year in and year out, and then you start to realize that you're singing lyrics that you actually have no clue what some of the words mean, but you just sing them because you know they're right. Anybody? Nobody? That's fine. You don't have to raise your hand. We're all going to be exposed here in a second, okay? So this is going to be a little interactive game. I need full participation so what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to start singing just some, don't worry, don't leave the church. I will never be on the worship team. I'm going to start singing very poorly some Christmas songs that we all know. And then when I stop, I want you guys to fill in the blank of just the next line of the Christmas song. See if you guys know it. Okay, you guys ready? Here we go. We'll start off easy. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh, over the fields we go, laughing all the way, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, what's a bobtail? <laughs> I've never used that phrase in my whole life. What's a bobtail ring? Okay, there's one. Let's move on. What a bright time. It's the right time to rock the night away. Jingle bell time is a swell time to go gliding in a one-horse sleigh. Giddy up. What's a jingle horse? Is it related to a bobtail? I don't know what a jingle horse is, but we sing it. All right, now, we are in church, so let's sing a Christian Christmas song. This one's a little bit tougher. Um, I quizzed my wife on all these, and she was not able to get this one. I'm sorry, Elizabeth, for calling you out, um, but y'all, see if you can get it. Here we go. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hey, what does hark mean, and who's Harold? Hark the herald angels sing. See, we just sing those. Well, maybe you guys, you guys are probably way smarter than I am. I didn't know who those were. I had to Google them. So we'll move on. Hopefully you guys are bilingual for this next one. Gloria in Hey, you guys sound good. Do you even know what language that is? Latin, yeah, some of y'all know Latin, okay. Um, I don't know what it means. I looked it up just to make sure we weren't like saying any curse words or anything, but I guarantee you everyone's going to leave service and just start Googling, what does this mean? <laughs> Last one, and this is where I kind of want to hang out for today, easy one, um, and we all know it, we literally just sang about it a couple minutes ago, 
Um, but it took me on a couple layers deep of thought um, and it took me on a spiral. And what I found was really cool. So we'll do this last one real quick. Oh, come, oh, come. Yeah, and then it goes on. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Right? All right. But they named him Jesus. Were they supposed to name him Emmanuel? Right? Now, did, did Jesus, this baby was born, and Mary looked at him and was like, he doesn't look like an Emmanuel. I know what the prophecy said, but Joseph, he doesn't look like Emmanuel. We're going to name him Jesus. And they just took it on their own and decided to name him Jesus? Because it seems pretty clear a lot of times that they're, he was supposed to be named Emmanuel. If you read the book of Isaiah, do you see the, the prophecy fulfilled in Matthew? So we're going to dive into that this morning. Um, and we're going to be, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1. Okay, it's literally the first page of the New Testament. If you're um, following along on your phone, if you follow along on the screen, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Matthew 1, and we're going to unpack this a little bit. Um, and it is really, really good. And so what we find in, in setting the scene, so there's an angel of the Lord that met Joseph in a dream. Talk to Joseph in a dream. And he's basically letting Joseph know, like, hey, I, I know you're, thinking about divorcing Mary um, because she says she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit with the Savior of the world, right? But I need you to know that what's about to happen is way bigger than you and Mary. It's fulfilling a prophecy that was said over 700 years before this happened. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And so the, the prophecy that they were, were quoting here is in Isaiah 7. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So we see that, that Joseph was told in this dream by an angel that Mary would conceive and give birth to a child and you are to call him Jesus. And we know that the name Jesus means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. Okay, now, them naming him Jesus wasn't in itself groundbreaking. He wasn't the first baby to have this name. Jesus is the Greek version of Joshua. And so the name itself wasn't necessarily uh, unique. It was extremely significant because we see what it means. But it wasn't totally unique. That, that was not the groundbreaking part. Okay, so what, that'll bring me back to the original question. Well, we see the prophet Isaiah says Emmanuel, but the, the, the angel tells Mary and Joseph to name him Jesus. So 
who's right, who's wrong, what's going on here? Well, they're both right. They're both correct. What we find is that Jesus was in fact the name that this baby was to be called and go by, but the title that this Jesus would hold was Emmanuel. See, that's important because the title, this is identifying part of Jesus' identity that we needed to know. Because this Jesus was Emmanuel. This Jesus, the Lord that saves, is Emmanuel, God with us. So the Lord that saves is with us. That is groundbreaking. That is unique, that this Jesus would hold the title of Emmanuel. That literally changed the course of history. See, this Jesus was different. And if you know, if you've studied the Old Testament much, you may be thinking and you may know, well, the Israelites, the Jews, they, they had God with them, right? They had God's presence with them. They had the temple, they had the tabernacle, the, the most holy place where God's presence dwelt. That was God with them, right? It wasn't the same. See, God's presence in the temple couldn't be around anything that was unholy or unrighteous or unclean or imperfect. That's why there was the Day of Atonement. There was one day a year where one man could go into the presence of God after jumping through a ton of hoops, going through different rituals and cleansings and sacrifices so that he could be made right just enough to get into the presence of God. This is different. Jesus, Emmanuel, this is the word that became flesh. This is God walking among his people. This is the God that stepped off of his throne in heaven to be with us, to walk with us, to talk with us, to do life with us, to put on flesh and bone and be physically present with his people so that he could see what we saw, so that he could feel what we felt. He could eat what we eat. He would be tempted and tried just like we are. But the only difference, he didn't sin. He lived a perfect life. We have this God that chose to humble himself to be with us, to relate to us, so that through his son, we could have eternal life. We could have salvation. We all know the verse, John 3, 16. We probably have it all memorized and posted everywhere, bracelets, all the things. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that through him we could have salvation. We could have eternal life. And we know that God didn't send Jesus to be with us to condemn us. He sent him to save us. It's in his name, the Lord that saves so that we would bring our, our worries, our burdens, our cares, our, our, our joys, our successes, our confusion, our doubts, we would bring it all to him because he can relate to you. First Peter 5 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There's a lot of us in here that need to hear that this morning. I need to hear that this morning. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He chose to come down to earth to be with you, to relate to you, to walk and to talk with you so that you would go to him 
because he can relate, because he cares for you. He couldn't have proved that any more than with his life here on earth. So we go through temptations and struggles and trials every single day of our lives. Think about just this Christmas season, the the secular worldly view of Christmas, to get more, to do more, to be more, to compare to everyone a little bit more, to become a little bit more selfish and easily make it more about getting than giving. See, we face these trials and temptations and it doesn't get easier the longer that we, we resist them. What we find is that attention builds the longer we're trying to resist all these things around us in the world. And oftentimes, our flesh fails, and it's way easier just to give in and go with the flow of the world because I don't have to, to fight the temptations and the struggles anymore. I can just be a part of everybody else. No one's going to judge me because it's what everyone's doing. It's way easier to do that. What we find is that Jesus went through the exact same struggles and trials and temptations, but he continued to let that tension build and build and build, and he never gave in. He never sinned. He went through everything that you have been through and will go through, but he got to the other side of it victorious and spotless and blameless. He can relate in every single way imaginable. Jesus knows our struggle, our temptations, our trials, our doubts. He knows them even greater and in more depth than we ever will. Because we often hop off the train and give in, but he never did. And so how can you not run to somebody? How can you not seek after somebody that can relate to everything that you would go through? Except he did it perfectly. And the Bible tells us that not only did Jesus go through these struggles, these trials, these temptations, and do it perfectly, and so he's a great example, but also for those of us that are in Christ, he offers help. He offers power and strength to overcome anything that this world could throw at us. Look at what Hebrews 2 says, Hebrews 2, 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Circle that, underline it, highlight it fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. If I don't fully, completely, truly, genuinely believe every piece of that with every fiber of my being, I am missing out on a huge part of who Jesus Christ Emmanuel is and the reason he came to earth, one of the reasons he came to earth. See, we we know the name Emmanuel. We sing the songs. We see the, the Christmas decorations with Emmanuel all over it. But knowing that, does it change the way that I live? Because it should Does knowing what Emmanuel is, does it change the way that I talk to him 
Does it change the way that I go through life and approach him? Because it should. Have you ever met somebody new, and as you're getting to know them, you start to realize you have so much in common. I've been here, I've done that, I like this, I do this, I am this. Well, me too, me too, me too, me too. And you instantly become best friends because you have so much in common, and it's easy to become close to somebody that you can relate that much to, right? Just human nature. Well, Jesus is the most relatable person that you could ever get to know. And by the way, that Jesus person is the almighty, all-powerful God of the universe. And he wants to have that close of a relationship with you. He can relate that much to you. If I knew that my God went through everything that I've been through, has go, will go through, I, will go through everything that I've gone through, and He did it perfectly, and He did it for me, it's really easy to run to Him, to seek after Him, to look for His leading in my life. Look what Hebrews four Hebrews fifteen tells us this exactly. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. That is Emmanuel. That is God with us. He has gone through and suffered everything that we have. He can empathize. He understands our weaknesses, but he didn't sin. But he is with us. Now, depending on, on your translation and whatever translation you're reading in your Bible, that the word there might be empathize or it might be sympathize. And I kind of want to take a pause here just for a second because if you know the difference between those two words in the English language, on a superficial level, they're a little bit different. So we know that empathy is a little bit more so, um, I am sorry with you. I relate to you. I understand your feelings. I feel that too, and I am in it with you. Whereas sympathy is a little bit more of, I am sorry for you. I don't necessarily relate or completely understand what you're going through, and I can't be there with you, but I'm truly, truly sorry. And I don't want to get hung up on what word is used in our English translations, okay? Because the, the word empathy technically wasn't even, I guess, invented or, or defined would be a better term. It wasn't even defined until 1908, and it was by some German psychologists, and they were looking for for another word to describe this aspect of compassion they were trying to find out. And, and the definition of empathy actually is still kind of debated today. So the word right now is not important what is used, but the definition of the root word is important. So if we look at the original Greek text, the word that was used here is sympatheo. And then you break that down, that word literally means to suffer with. Our God Jesus suffered with us. He did not sin. So he is in it with you. He understands with you. He relates with you. That same word, that sympatheo word, was also used in Hebrews 10 for the phrase suffered along with. It says, you suffered along with those in prison. You sympatheo with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Now it's significant that we know the definition, the root of this word that we're looking at because it changes everything. It gives us confidence in knowing that this Jesus 
did in fact go through everything we did. He's not just looking up in his throne, looking down, saying, well, I'm sorry for these people. You know, I, I, can't, I can't relate. I've never been there. No, we have a God that came down into the trenches with us, and he understands what we go through. David Guzik, he's a, a, a Bible commentator that I like to read sometimes. He said this, Jesus knew the temptations of power and the temptations of pain. He knew the temptations of riches and the temptations of poverty. He knew the temptations of popularity and the temptations of rejection. He knew the temptations of the boy and the temptations of the man. He knew temptation from his friends and temptation from his enemies. He knew temptation from his family and temptation from strangers. Now, every single one of us can find ourselves in one of those categories. Whether you're overwhelmed by it right now or not, we're all tempted and tried in a lot of different aspects and avenues in life, just like Jesus. And now it's easy to say, well, you know, Jesus lived a long time ago. Times are a lot different. Jesus didn't deal with the exact same things that we're dealing with, right? That was, that was a long time, a very different time when Jesus walked to earth. Maybe, but I think that there are still some, some true struggles, trials that will never change. They're the same emotions, they're the same struggles that we go through that he went through. There's another Bible in the Old Testament, or sorry, there's another scripture in the Old Testament that says there's nothing new under the sun. What they went through, we will go through, the future will go through. So for example, middle schoolers in the room, high schoolers, college-age kids, it may seem like eternities since your parents were your age. You may think that they were just born old, that they never actually went through what you went through. I promise you, your parents can relate more than you understand. It may seem like that they have no idea what you're going through. They don't know the things that you deal with every single day. They're too far removed from what you've been going through. They don't understand what I'm going through, but they do. They've gone through what you've been through. They've gone through what you're going to go through. The same trials, the same temptations. Now, I'm not blind to the fact that I think each generation is gonna have a little bit different struggle. So, for example, like parents, if you grew up in the 60s or surrounding decades, you didn't have the same struggles that your kids have when it comes to technology, the same access, the same trials that they have when it comes to technology. You just didn't have that, right? But I think behind the curtain, behind the superficial look of these things, the same root issues are still there. It's the same thing just packaged a little bit differently from generation to generation. If it's technology, if it's whatever you can think of, fill in the blank, behind it we still see the same things that are trying to fight for our heart and for our minds, whether it be pride, it be selfishness, it be comparison, it be jealousy, it be envy, but whatever you can think of, those emotions are the same from the beginning of time to the end of time. And I think a lot of times we try and take that and put it on Jesus and say, that dude lived like over 2,000 years ago. He doesn't deal with what I deal with. He doesn't have the, the workforce, the coworkers. He doesn't have the technology. He doesn't have the, the, the vehicles. He doesn't know the financial. He doesn't know the, it's just packaged differently, guys. It's the exact same thing. What Jesus went through, we go through. And it's what our kids and kids' kids will all go through. It's the same 
thing. And so Jesus went through these things and he navigated them perfectly. And so what he said, what was written all the way back then is just as relatable, just as relevant and applicable today as when Jesus said it. Now, I like sports. I think there's a lot of good, easy analogies in sports. So let's say I'm going to try and be a professional quarterback, just casually practice on the weekends, maybe a scout will see me in my front yard or something. I don't really know how it works. But let's say I'm going to practice being a quarterback, and I have the opportunity to learn from and take advice from, let's say, Tom Brady or some dad that still brags about a good game he had in JV in high school. Obviously, I'm choosing Tom Brady, right? I'm going to choose somebody that is going through and been through what I'm going to go through and someone that did it better than anybody else. I'm not going to choose somebody that's calling the shots from the sideline that has never had any real experience in what I'm trying to go to, go through, some armchair quarterback, right? Now, that's an a, a, a easy answer and a silly example, but God knows that we have a tough time listening and following and believing somebody that can't relate to what we're going through. And because he's a good father, because he is a perfect God, he didn't let that be the case with our relationship with him. See, when we look at history, we can know for certain there was this baby born named Jesus sent to be Emmanuel, God with us, that would live a life just like ours in the sense of being tested and tempted and tried and struggled just like us, but did it perfectly. He didn't sin. And then being innocent, he died for you and for me so that we would be reconciled back to God. See, when I know that, it makes it way easier to seek after him, to listen to his spirit's leading in every aspect of my life. Now, a lot of you guys know in here that I'm a new dad, uh, new enough to still have absolutely no clue what I'm doing, but <laughs> I've gotten a lot of really good advice um, from a lot of awesome dads out there. And there's a piece of advice that, that continues to pop up. And it's super simple, but the, the value and the depth of the advice that I get is just so rich. And all it is is to be present. To be present with your kids. To spend time with them. No matter how much money you make, how much money you spend, no matter how many things you get and give, no matter how many promises you make, none of those things can replace quality time. And we hear some tragedies of, of broken homes due to absent fathers, absent mothers, absent parents. You can't replace quality time with anything. It's not an absent wallet, absent money. It's not absence of things. It is absence of you. It's absence of the presence of the parent, of the father, of the mother. Kids are going to remember the times that you spent with them, the quality time that you had with them. Kids are going to remember the times that you were available, the times that you were there supporting them to be a shoulder to cry on, someone to relate to, to get advice from. Kids are gonna remember that. My dad always tells me you can't go back 
and get the time back. You can always make more money. You can always get more things, but you can't go back to get that time. I think that's how we receive love. God wired us that way, and he knew that. That's why he sent us Jesus, Emmanuel. God knew that we needed his presence. God knew that we needed him and flesh and bones to walk with, to talk with, to relate to, someone to understand what we're going through so we're not just crying out to this God on his throne that's higher than us, above us, and can't relate to us. He knew that we needed Jesus, Emmanuel. That is what we are celebrating in Christmas. It is God with us. This baby born of humble beginnings that was fully God but became fully human so that we and him could understand each other a little bit more and so that we would go to him for eternal life. As I close, I want to quote Charles Spurgeon. Um, and he was asked about Emmanuel and what it means for us what it means for all of us, whether you've been a Christian following Jesus your entire life or you're here just because it's Christmas Eve and some family brought you here, this means the same for all of us. This is what he says. It shows that we can come to him. If he has come to us, then we can come to him. If Jesus Christ be God with us, let us come to God without any question or hesitancy, whoever you may be. You need no priest or intercessor to introduce you to God, for God has introduced himself to you. So this morning, this Christmas Eve morning, I want us to realize, I want us to know how deeply God loves and cares for you. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, he died for us. This Emmanuel is not only for people that are Christians. This Emmanuel was sent for all of the world to choose to follow this king. To choose to bring our burdens, our mess, our doubts, our confusion, to bring it to him. He stepped down from his throne in heaven to walk the earth with us for that exact reason. If you feel like you're far from God, you feel like God is unapproachable because he's up there in his throne, he's unrelatable because he's, he's God after all, well, you've been thinking of the wrong God. You haven't known Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the most relatable being that we could ever come close to and he wants to spend time with you he wants you to go to him he wants to be with you he is with us and we can take advantage of that and so if you've never never thought of Emmanuel God with us in that way how relatable how relational that Jesus is, I want you to meditate on that this morning and know that what we celebrate come tomorrow morning, it's God with us. God 
with us. He's here to relate to you. He was sent to save you so that we could spend eternity with him. So that there would be no shadow of a doubt, no question if God actually loves you. He showed you he loves you. He sent his son. Let's pray this morning. God, we come to you humbly this morning on Christmas Eve in the wake of celebrating the arrival of your son, Jesus. I pray that we're, as we're just sitting here this morning with our eyes closed, with nothing on our agenda right now, but to worship you and to be in your presence. God, I pray we can experience you fresh this morning. We can know that you are here in our midst. Your Holy Spirit can be full inside of us, that you sent your son down so that we could find eternal life and salvation through you. That we're not doing this life alone. You didn't leave us and go back up into heaven and abandon us. But Jesus, you can relate, you understand more than we could ever fathom. So let us bring everything to you. Let us put it at your feet, surrender everything, give you our worship because you are worthy of our praise. Jesus, thank you for living a sinless, perfect life. Thank you for dying a death even though you were innocent and thank you for raising from the grave so that we too could defeat death by putting our faith in your son, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And thank you for your son, Emmanuel, God with us. It is in your son's beautiful, holy, precious name that we can pray. Amen.